you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 John? 1 John, it's almost at the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 3. We're in this series called Who Am I? where We're really looking at our identity and the ramifications of that identity and what to do if maybe our identity has been constructed in an unhealthy way. And so we've started, and I told you we're going to gradually get more and more practical, start theological and get gradually and gradually more and more practical as we go. And so that's going to continue to be our aim. This is our second week. Next week we'll wrap this up. All right, 1 John chapter 3. Let's just read the first three verses together. John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you with so much baggage we come to you with so much confusion in our lives. We come to you so mixed up by what is from you and what is from the world and what is from our parents and what is healthy and what is broken and what is good and what is bad. And Lord, so we come and we don't have any concept of why you would care for us, why you would want us. We have nothing to offer to you except for our mess. And yet, by your grace, you have interrupted our mess with your kindness, with your love, with your clarity, with reality, with Christ, with the cross, with grace, forgiveness, mercy, with transformation, with a new identity. And I pray, Lord, for my people that it would be fully realized and enjoyed by every single one. Lord, this morning there may be one who is not yet in Christ. And I pray that today you would cast for them a vision that would show them why Jesus is so desirable. And that they would leave this morning either with Christ or longing for Christ. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So a few years ago, Megan and I uh, built a house. And by... Megan and I built a house. I mean, we hired someone to build a house. You wouldn't want to lean up against a wall that I, that I put up. And our house plan called for this really large deck on the back of it. It was probably our, our favorite feature, which was something we were really excited about. And so from the time that we, and I think I'm shrinking again. Do you remember when that happened before? I think that's happening again here. How about that? So I, y'all saw that, right? That's not just in my head. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully, I may end up having to stand. It'll be fine. Um, but what we really were excited about is this big deck that was going to be on the back of our house. And we could, like, already see just ourselves sitting back there drinking coffee and, you know, watching the sun come up. All those kinds of things that you do, right, when you, when you envision a house. And I am totally getting shorter. All right. You know what? We're going to strap this stool. And so we were... 
we were waiting on this house. And so finally, the day comes in which the lumber to construct this deck was delivered to the house. And I went by that morning and I saw this big heap of lumber that Webb had left. And I was so excited. And my builder told me today is the day we're going to build your deck. And so all day long, I, I go to work and I'm thinking and I'm trying to process and figure out exactly what that looks like and exactly what that feels like. And, and I, I can't even focus at work because all I can think about is this deck, right? Well, I come back the evening anticipating my deck to walk out and there is no deck. And if you've ever built a house, this is not that abnormal, except I looked over where the lumber was and there is no lumber. And so now I think, somebody's robbed me. Somebody has stolen all of this lumber. And like that's a retirement plan that you can have in lumber, right? And, and so I'm, I'm panicking and I, I call up my, my contractor and my contractor says, he says, Cody, you wouldn't want anything built out of that lumber. All of it was warped. You, you wouldn't want to stand on a deck built out of lumber that was warped that way. Because why? Sturdy houses are built out of solid materials, right? Sturdy houses are built out of solid materials. But here's the reality for many of us. The materials that we've used to construct our ideas of self, our self-perception, our sense of identity, many of those materials are warped lumber. Many of us have built a life and an understanding of who we are apart from what God has said. And instead, the culture and our families and our peer groups and our influences and our experiences have instead handed over to us lumber that is warped and bent so that our houses aren't sturdy at all. On the outside, they may be aesthetically pleasing. On the outside, we may look very impressive, but on the inside, on the inside, we're crumbling, right? And I wonder if, if that's you. I wonder if you were to be honest, you would say, on the outside, the smiles look good. On the outside, my Facebook looks happy. On the outside, my Instagram feed looks fulfilled and satisfied. On the outside, I look confident. But on the inside, it feels like all my lumber is warped. It feels like my house is rotting from the ground up. What we saw last week is very often there is a gap between our God-given identity and our constructed identity. There is a, a separation between what, who God has made us to be and declared us to be and who we understand ourselves to be. And this is where this warped wood comes from. But the good news is, brothers and sisters, where we landed was to say that God has made a provision so that there is hope for us if our identity seems to be crumbling from the inside out. That there is a path forward for all of us who feel like our sense and understanding of who we are is less than what God has said. And so what I want us to see this morning are three realizations of a healthy identity so that we can flourish as the people that God has designed and intended for us to be. And, and, and so that we can train our children to flourish in a way by understanding who God is has made them to be. And so the first thing that I want you to see this morning is that there is a, an inherited identity that is true of all of us. There is an inherited identity that is true of all of us. Now, our kids inherit a lot from us, don't they? I look at this picture, and I'm, it would be hard for me to deny that Josiah is my son, right? Like, this is me, me, this is sci-fi right here, okay? So, like, you look at this, and you're like, okay, I see it, right? Like, a lot of people ask where the blonde hair comes from. There you go. There it is. And when we see pictures like this, we're reminded that, on one hand, our kids inherit 
a lot of good things from us that are beautiful, right? I see this picture, and it, it honestly, it brings me joy. It's like looking into a weird mirror sometimes. When I look down at my son, you know, you grow up, and you see all your baby pictures, and you see all your, the pictures that your mom all has painted up on the walls and all those kinds of things, and then all of a sudden, you have this little creature in your house, and it's like those, those pictures are becoming animated, right? And, and it, it just make, it brings a smile to my face. It brings joy to our family. It's just kind of fun to kind of see what it looks like, right? On the other hand, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Because he doesn't just look like me, and that's terrifying enough, right? Like, that's, that is sentence enough, and that's evidence enough of the curse that he looks like me. But amen, brother. Amen. But the joker acts like me, too. He's mule-headed and strong-willed and spiteful and... I swear his favorite hobby is to just irritate you. He gets pleasure out of it. Like, he just wants to mess with you. If he knows it bothers you, he just picks at you. And if I'm honest and self-aware, that's a little bit like me. You know, I, I find great, great joy in tripping Andrew from behind. I don't know why. I don't, I, sometimes I don't even mean to do it. I just kick his feet out from under him. That's my son. And so sometimes when I have to get on to him... It's really like getting on to myself for the exact same things that I do. And so it's, it's complicated, right? Yeah, our, our kids, they inherit a lot of things from us. They inherit both the good and the bad. And brothers and sisters, this has been true since the beginning. This has been true since the beginning. That Romans chapter 5 teaches us, that passage that we opened up from the beginning with, Romans chapter 5 teaches us that we have an inheritance from our first father, Adam. On one hand, we have an inheritance from our first father, Adam, in that we have a God-given identity. We have a God-given identity. We saw this last week from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right? Genesis chapter 1 and 2 really can be summarized in God making the world and then God teaching the man and the woman who he's made them to be, explaining himself to them and explaining to them what their responsibilities are. And so we looked at that, and what we recognize is that none of us come pre-downloaded with software. Instead, we have to be taught who we are. We have to be instructed in who we are. And so what we can say is that everything that was true of Adam in the beginning is true of us today. Every bit of the identity that God gave to Adam, God has created and given to us as the children of Adam. And so what we saw from the beginning is that that means that we are special and significant. We are created in God's image to bear God's glory and with a purpose, with significance to go and to multiply that glory and multiply that dominion over the face of the earth. We are created dependent and blessed. That is, we are made like God, but we are not God. We are dependent upon God. But praise God, God is a good God and he is a providing God. He is Jehovah Jireh and he has given us all of the creation so that we have food to eat, so that we can have the things that we need, the basic provisions to be able to flourish in the ways that he has created us to flourish. We are moral and accountable. Coming into Genesis chapter 2, you'll remember that God goes and he points out all of the garden. He says, this is yours. You rule with dominion over it. Go and enjoy it. But there's one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you shall not eat from. He is providing boundaries. And this boundary is unlike anything else that all of creation experiences apart from the man and the woman. Why? Because they are uniquely given a moral compass, a conscience, a sense of morality to which they are ultimately accountable to God. And then finally what we saw is just like within the Trinity there is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit living in community with one another. God looks at Adam, they're made in the garden, standing, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he 
fashions for him a helpmate that is a perfect complement to who he is, a, a companion. And so we see that not only are we special and significant, dependent and blessed, moral and accountable, but we are social and complementary. That this was the God-given identity given to Adam from the beginning and passed from Adam to all of us. That we have inherited that from Adam. Now, but Romans chapter 5, that's not the primary point. The primary point is not that we have received from Adam this God-given identity. It's certainly true. We are image bearers in the way that he is. But that we have also received from, uh, from Adam an inheritance of a sin nature. That we have in, received from Adam problems, consequences, the curse that has come across the man. So we have a God-given identity on one hand and we have a sin-confused identity on the other hand. Now when we think about identity confusion today, our minds probably immediately go, for many of us at least, to the gender dysphoria that seems to be so prevalent and prominent today. The things that scare us about our children. That there is such confusion over who we are, that there is uncertainty among some people that they have even been made male or female in the image of God. And honestly, rather than being repulsed, we ought to be heartbroken. We ought to be heartbroken that people are living with that kind of confusion. That people are, are living outside of the design of God in such a way that will disable them from becoming who God has intended for them. Disable them from being able to fully flourish. But what we may miss is that gender dysphoria is just an extreme example of what is true of every single one of us. All of us are confused about who we are. All of us lack in some way understanding our way or ourselves in the way that God understands us. All of us have aspects of who we are. All of us have aspects of how we know ourselves to be and understand ourselves to be and believe ourselves to be that are different than the way that God has made us to be and declared us to be and assigned us to be. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We saw this last week, right? The serpent comes in and what does the serpent do? The serpent begins painting a new narrative, spinning a different tale, saying things in a different way than what God has said. And what Adam and Eve it do is they buy the lie of the competing voice about who they are and they believe what the serpent says about them instead of what God has said about them. And from that time, from that time there has been confusion over who exactly we are ever since. Ever since. And so what we receive as a result of that decision, as a result of that confusion, are two inheritances from Adam. First of all, we receive a sin nature that brings with it consequences. You'll see here, I have listed, God speaks a curse to the people, to Adam and to Eve. And he tells them the ramifications of the res their responsibility to their sin. He says this to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth ch children. So we see a consequence as a result of our sin is the pain of childbirth. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He shall rule over you. So from the beginning, what is one of the ramifications of the sin consequence? Is that there is now going to be conflict between Eve and her husband. There's going to be conflict between the genders. Then he turns to Adam and he said, Because you have not listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, see the connection here? In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return 
to the ground. So for Adam, what does he say? He he says, you're going to suffer too. That the result of sin is pain. The result of sin that promised you all of this knowledge and all of this wisdom and all of this freedom and all of this godlike ability, the actual result is suffering. The actual result is consequences that are going to come into your life. And so you're going to suffer and you're going to sweat. Your work is not going to be as satisfying as it ought to be. And it's going to be harder than it ought to be. And you're going to eat from the bread of the ground. But the ground's not always going to produce. Sometimes it's going to be thistles instead of grain. And we see that they're going to return to the ground. They were built to live immortally, but instead the result of their sin is they, they both die. And so we see in the first, our first parents that a sin nature was given, and the result of that sin nature is consequences of that sin. But there's a second thing that we should see. Not only do we receive a sin nature that leads to consequences, but we receive a broken world that leads to suffering. We receive a, it's not just Adam and Eve that receive a curse, right? The very ground is cursed. There are thorns and thistles that bring it forth. Romans uh, chapter 8 verses 19 and 20 talk about the the groanings of the futility of the creation. That the result is, is that now cancer is in the world. Now death is in the world. Now Cain is going to slay Abel. Now there is going to be continual strife between men and women in the way that Adam and Eve were. There's, there's going to be a, 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 a droughts and famines and diseases and all types of, of hardships are going to be introduced as a result. And we, we have inherited those things as well. And what's fascinating, what's fascinating, as you begin to talk to people about who they are, very often they will focus on these two inheritances that we receive from Adam and Eve, the fact that they are sinful and have consequences, the fact that, they have, that the world is broken and they have suffered, instead of any of the things that God has said about them. So God says about them that they're social, special and significant, dependent and blessed, moral and accountable, social and complementary. But very often one of the exercises that I'll do is when I bring them into my office and we're talking, I'll go to the whiteboard. And I'll draw a circle just like this. And I put the circles on here because some of you have talked with me and we've done this exact exercise. And I'll say, so tell me who you are. And they'll begin to tell me. And they'll, they'll say, I'm a failure. Or I'm worthless. They'll say, I'm homosexual. They'll say, I'm an adulterer. They'll say... I'm a survivor, cancer, abuse. They'll say, I'm an addict. And you get the idea, we could keep going on and on and on. But I want you to think about what these categories represent. Not one time have they mentioned their God-given identity. Not one time have they said about themselves what God says and believes about them. Instead, every way that they come to understand themselves is in their relationship to both their own sin or the suffering that they've incurred because of sin. That why are they a survivor? They're a survivor because their father has sinned against them. Why are they a survivor? Because cancer is in the world. Why is it that they're LGBTQ? Why is that? It's because of their own aberrant desires that they have given themselves over to. Why is it that they feel worthless? They feel worthless because someone has made them feel worthless. Or they feel worthless because they, they fail to understand who they are as 
as a, an image bearer of Almighty God? Why do they feel like failures? Why do they define themselves by failures? Because they've been fired from their job or let go from their job or they never measured up to their parents' expectations. And as a result, everywhere they go, no matter how hard they work, no matter how many degrees are on the wall, no matter how, how well they do, ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the day, they just feel like failures. So they understand themselves entirely in the context of their sin-confused identity and entirely separate and apart from who God has made and said they are. So we called this last week the identity gap. And so what we want to see this week as the narrative moves forward, as it progresses into the new covenant, as it progresses with the coming of Christ, that what God has done through the cross is God has built a bridge so that, so that we can begin to bring these, the sense of identity together, that our, we can reconstruct our identity according to our given identity so that we can build up a better house from better lumber that can withstand the tests of time. You see, there is an inherited identity that is true of every single person that has ever been born on the face of the earth. And then there is a new identity that is offered to all of those people. Not everyone will know it, not everyone will enjoy it, but those who come to Christ, those who repent of their sins, those who recognize that they are not sufficient, those who recognize that within themselves is not the ability to overcome their sin or overcome their problems or overcome their angst. Those who recognize within themselves they can't be moral enough or strong enough or wise enough. But Christ, Christ has provided the way. Who will come to Christ and trust in Christ. Christ offers to them an entirely new identity. This is what is getting to in Romans chapter 5 verse 17, isn't it? Listen to what it says. For if because of one man's trespass, this man being... Adam, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying there? That you now can receive a different inheritance than the one that you received from Adam. That now you were born as slaves to death. You were born slaves to sin. You were born bent towards sin and consequences. But now, now you can be reborn with a new inheritance by the person of Christ so that the resurrection defines your future. So that you are a sin nature but given, given a new nature in Christ. So that you become now what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That what happens with the gospel is the gospel gives us fundamentally new materials to construct our, idea, our sense of identity from. And these new materials are actually accomplished, purchased, and then put together by the person of Christ himself. That because of Jesus, those of us who used to call ourselves sinners can now call ourselves sons. Because of Jesus, those of us who fundamentally believed ourselves to be broken can now understand ourselves to be whole. Those of us who used to be, believe that we were worthless can now understand that we are dearly loved. This is the identity that Christ has purchased and accomplished. This is the inheritance that he has left to every single one of us. And this is really what John is seeking to get at. In 1 John chapter 3, in the book of 1 John, he's doing a contrast throughout the book of 1 John. There are these false teachers believing this false gospel, and he calls them children of the devil. 
And so throughout the book of 1 John, what the, uh, what the apostle is doing is he's contrasting the difference, differences between children of the devil and the children of God. And so he comes into chapter 3, and he's focused in on those who are walking with Christ, who love Christ, who love one another, who are bearing the fruit of Christ, who are identifying with Christ, who have been born again with Christ. And he says, let me tell you who you are. You are children. And through Christ, brothers and sisters, that's who we can be. If you come to Christ, we can be children. See, it is the responsibility and role of parents to tell us what we should be called, isn't it? We've talked about this ad nauseum, that we don't come with a full understanding of who we are. We have some intuitions, we have some instincts, we know eternity is placed in to our hearts, but until somebody tells us who we are, we don't know who we are. We see this from the beginning with Adam and Eve. And so the God-designed means to teach you who you are, dads, is for dads to teach you, for moms to teach you, for parents to teach you. They, they begin to imprint upon you the person that you're supposed to be. And so they teach us a lot of things about ourselves, and not all of them are healthy. Even in the healthiest of homes, even in the best of situations, we are handed over bad lumber. For instance, if you feel like you have a mom that you can never make happy, who does that teach you that you should be called? Inadequate, right? If you have a dad that abuses you, who does that teach you that you should be called? It means that you should be called worthless, doesn't it? If every time you're around your parents, they seem annoyed by you and irritated by you and frustrated by you, who should you be called? You should be called in the way. And so all of these experiences and all these instances are handing over to us through the God-given means to teach us who we are, the warped lumber in how we begin to understand ourselves. See, what our parents are supposed to teach us and what good parents do teach is that you are loved. You are valuable. You are, you are uh, significant. You are not ultimate. You are not in charge. This is good lumber intended to be passed from our, from our parents to us. But too often, too often we come to the table with, with bad materials, don't we? Many of you this morning, you're, you're here and, I'm ta- and it feels like I'm reading your biography, like I'm reading your life story. In steps Christ to interrupt your biography. In steps Christ to change your life story. In steps Christ to redefine who you are. Your parents were supposed to teach you what you should be called. Now listen to what John says in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Not we should be, we are this is what we should what, what what should we be called we should be called sons daughters princes and princesses co-heirs co-rulers co-laborers of Christ a royal priesthood a chosen people declared by God himself do you see the beauty of that brothers and sisters How many of you were handed that lumber when you were growing up? How many of you have constructed an idea of yourself that says, it is not based on my worthiness, it is not based on my strength, it is not based on my past, it is not based on my performance, it is based on God's declaration, I am his child. So we are. He says it again. We are 
God's children now because of the work that Christ has accomplished. Now, why did this come about? This helps us unfold the next layer of our identity that is accomplished through Christ that John reveals. Why is it that we were made children of God? Why is it that God would formulate this plan to bridge the gap in our identity? Why is it that God would would seek to allow us to be reborn with a new inheritance? Because we are beloved. There's a second title that's introduced. That those of us who come to Christ, come to God through Christ, can now be called beloved. Look at, he starts that way in verse 2, doesn't he? Beloved. We are God's children now. What sent him? What sent him was, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That God came to you through the person of Christ. Not because you were good. Not because you were strong. Not because you brought a whole lot to the table. You are a mess. A basket case. He came to you because he wanted you. Because he loved you. Because you were desirable in his sight. Because you were value worth redeeming to him by the cost of his own son. And so you aren't just put off in the corner of heaven. You aren't set off in the backside of the kingdom. You are brought near to the chest of the father where he brings you near to an embrace. And he says, you are my beloved. See, that's different, isn't it? There's a lot of things that I love. There's a lot of things that I love. The Bible says that God loves the whole world. But then it says that he has a particular love for his children. That he loves the world, that he would send the son, but his own people, he adopts his own people. He chooses his own people. He woos to himself and he brings to himself and he brings near and he holds them close because they are the passion of his glory. They are the gift, Psalm 2, that he is going to present to the son of man on the day of his redemption. Well, there's a lot of things that I love too. I love my community. I love my country. I love my church. I love Alabama football and Atlanta Braves baseball. I love to play golf. I love to go hiking. I love to go fishing. I love to ride a motorcycle on a beautiful day like this. I love those things at differing degrees and in differing measures. But I love my kids. You understand what I mean? I love my kids. My kids are a supreme passion beneath Jesus alone. My kids, I would lay down and die without blinking. I want to give them the very best that I can give them in every way. I want to train them to, to flourish and succeed in every way that I can train and succeed. I want to spend time with them. I, I long for it. I was gone all week last week and everywhere I go, I can just see my kids. Man, Gracie would really enjoy this World War II Museum. You know, Josiah, he'd be, he's going to enjoy this. That's all I can think about, right? Why? They're my beloved. Have you ever stopped for a second to consider this is how God thinks of you? This is how God thinks of you. He loves the world, but you are his beloved. Do you see how fundamentally different that is than the identity that many of us have been given? See how fundamentally, how that breathes life into you, how that makes you experience this new birth to recognize that this is what Christ is doing. 
This is what Christ is accomplishing. This is what Christ is securing for us and purchasing for us. And how does he do it? And it gets to the third layer. We can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. Just before you get into chapter 3, John tells that early church how it is they became children. He tells them how, how, it, is, how it is that they, are, they became the beloved of God. And how is that? Verse, chapter 2, verse 12. I put it there at the bottom. I am writing to you, little children. Notice the similar language. How did they become little children? Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. We come to God with our mess. We come to God wondering how in the world we could ever be desirable. We come to God with the basket case that is our life, with the wreckage that is our past. We come to God with all the bad decisions that we've made and all the missteps that we've taken and all the ways that we've harmed other people and hurt other people. We come with all the, the distrust that we've had toward him, all the rebellion that we've had toward him. And how does he come to us, those of us who are his children, those of us who are his beloved, how does he come to us? He comes to us through the cross of Christ and offers us grace. So no longer am I defined by my sexual history. No longer am I defined by the divorce certificate. No longer am I defined by the cancer survival. No longer am I defined by the, the pain that I've caused in the heart of another person. No longer am I defined by those things. Now, now I am defined by the grace and mercy that has infiltrated my life and interrupted my biography to write for me a new story. What I want you to see, brothers and sisters, is that every single question that your identity brings to the table Jesus answered at the cross. Every single one. Who are you? You are his children. You aren't in his way. You aren't just tolerated by him. You were chosen by him. Who are you? You are his beloved. He doesn't sit you in the corner. He isn't just putting up with your nonsense. He loves you. He is passionate about you. He is devoted to you. He has saved you. You are his beloved. Who are you? You are forgiven. You are not what your ex believes about you. You are not what your college or high school reputation says about you. You are not what your co-workers have believed about you. You are, not what you. you are not defined by your worst moment or your worst day or your worst season. You are defined by grace. You are forgiven. What happens is the bridge begins to be built between who God has said and declared and assigned us to be and who we've come to believe ourselves to be. That what Jesus offers to every single one of us is a qualitatively better identity. A qualitatively better sense of who we are, who we are intended to be, made to be, and now who we can actually be. And so as a result, for those who are in Christ, there is a better identity pursued by God's people. There's a better identity pursued by God's people. That what John goes to unpack in verses 2 and 3 is a tension that all of us are experiencing. Matter of fact, this got turned in on uh, questions with Cody and we weren't able to ask 
uh, weren't able to answer it that week. But, but here it is. What we see being explained to us is this already not yet tension. Okay, okay. Well, if that's who I am, why don't I feel like it? If, if that's who I am, why do I still sin? If that's who I am, why does my pastor wound my spirit so much? If, if that's who I am, why do I not already fully enjoy and experience it? This is what John's getting at, right? Beloved, we are God's children now. We are already fully in Christ. We, th- this is our position. We are already in the household of God. This is who we are right now. But what we will be, do you notice the future tense? Has not yet appeared. But we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him. Because we shall see as he is. So we already are in Christ, but we are not yet fully like Christ. That God leaves us here in the midst of this groaning and futile world. He leaves us here in the midst so that we can declare his glory, so that we can pursue his name. But he offers to us the opportunity to more fully and fully enjoy this identity that he has secured for us. In fact, y'all, this is the pursuit of the Christian life. Verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes, everyone who now has this new identity secured, this is who you are, you are children now, in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is why works-based religion does not work. We do not work so that God will approve of us. We do not work so that God will accept us. We do not work so that God will like us. We work we serve, we seek, to, we seek to purify from our lives all of these uncleanlinesses, all of this, uh, these extra parts of our identity so that because he has already accepted us, because he loves us, because he saves us, so that now for the Christian life, as we grow in Christ, our goal is to think more and more and more of ourselves the way that God does. To let the identity that God has assigned, that Christ has accomplished to overtake that identity that we've constructed from ourselves from all of the rotten wood. And so I want you to have two really practical takeaways. First, you need to tear out the warped lumber. You need to tear out the warped lumber. That we start with this gap between the given and the constructed. We are given this identity, we're special and significant, dependent and blessed, moral and accountable, social and complementary. But if we begin to tell about who we are, we have this understanding that instead we are failures, addicts, worthless, broken, afraid, unwanted, LGBTQ, disappointment, damaged, adulterer, single. We we could go on and on, right? But what happens when we come to Christ and we meet Christ, what we want is to move this toward this. That if, if we were in my office, we would start with these two circles. Who has God said that you are? Who do you believe that you are? We would see the gap. But then what I would want to show you is that as you come into Christ, what happens is there begins to be overlap in those circles. That now, bridging the gap between these two identities, the God-given identity and the self-constructed identity, is this concept that I am God's child. I am his beloved. I am his forgiven. 
And because these things are now true of me, now my circles begin to overlap and I begin to have good materials introduced into my life so that I begin to believe about me what God has said about me. But what happens is in the beginning, it's not fully, is it? In fact, this is a lifelong pursuit. Some of you are frustrated because you are not further along. Man, me too. Me too. I bet if we went to, uh, you know, Miss Ethelyn Lester turned 90 years old this week. Isn't that amazing? 90 years old. And there, she reads a chapter of the New Testament and a chapter of the Old Testament every single day and has done it for decades. The Word of God has salted her life. And if we had Ethelyn Lester come and testify, do you know what I think she would tell you? I'm not yet who I want to be. I'm not yet who I want to be. She may be further along than a lot of us. She probably is further along than most of us, if not all of us. But her circles don't perfectly overlap. And so what we need to begin doing is recognizing, purifying from our lives those things that are not from God. We need to be able to go in and begin striking these things out, ripping out the rotted wood so that we can see that we have an identity that is qualitatively better than those things, that enables us to live in the way that God designed us to live, so that we can flourish in the way that God designed us, so that we can tear out from our life the confusion and tear out from our life the chaos and tear out from our life all of the things that bring us anxiety and keep us awake at night and become more fully realized that I am special, significant, a child, beloved, forgiven, social, complimentary, moral, accountable, dependent, and blessed. That what I want us to do and what I would counsel you to do is gradually we want these circles to have greater and greater overlap. That as we begin to mature in the faith, we mature in our understanding of who we are. And as we mature in our understanding of who we are, we become healthier people, more serviceable to the kingdom, more bringing more glory to Christ and more benefit to those around us. In fact, most of 1 John talks about how well we can love one another. Guess who loves one another well? We're going to talk about this next week. Those who fully understand who they really are. Who understand how forgiven they are. How beloved they are. How chosen they are. What children they are. How significant they are. The second application. So we should tear out all of the warped lumber. Then we should rebuild it the right way. We should rebuild it the right way. So I I taught last week about how there's a lot of layers to who we are. And this is true, isn't it? A layer of your identity, if I was to say, tell me who you are, depending on who you're with, you might say a lot of different things. A lot of you dads, if I was to ask you, the first thing that you might lead with today is, I'm a dad. I'm a dad. I love being a dad. Somebody else, you might say, I'm an Alabama fan, or you might say, I'm an American, or you might say that I'm middle-aged, or you might... There's a thousand different things that you say. But all of these layers to our identity and the way that we arrange them will determine how sturdy our house is. That if you take those things which are intended to be foundational and you put them as afterthoughts up in the attic, they will ultimately crush the house. If you put those things that are meant to be extras and sweeteners in life and you put them at the foundational level so that they are what's core to your life, your whole house will crumble. That we need to feel heavily those things that God intends for us to feel heavily and we need to hold lightly those things that God intends for us to hold lightly. And so I think a helpful way to think of it is to think of it, oh, that's crooked, to think of it like this. That first of all, it's kind of a pyramid. First of all, 
there are those things that never change about us. Never change. These are the things that God has said about us. These are that you're a child. These are that you're beloved. These are that you're forgiven. These are that you're special and significant. These are that you are dependent and blessed. The next layer, so, so that's foundational. And until you have that as your foundation, your house is set to crumble. Your sense of purpose is set to escape you. You're, you're likely to live with a disrupted soul and a starving spirit all the time. The next level is those things that are never changing. And I apologize for my voice. <clears throat> never changing but not ultimate. These are things like, I'm a dad. I'm a dad, it's awesome, but it's not ultimate. I'm a husband, awesome, powerful, important, critical, never changing, but not ultimate. I'm an American, our ethnicity, our culture. These are things that we don't change. They're very vital, they they influence who we are, they influence the decisions that we make. They aren't going to change. But they certainly are not ultimate. They are not foundational. Next are those things that may change. These things are like your job or your affiliations, your hobbies, the personality traits that you display. You know, in one season of my life, I was a lot more extroverted than I am now. And now I'm a lot more introverted than I was then. I don't know that you're born with a particular personality that you have to carry with to to adulthood or to, to the deathbed. At some point, you were this kind of fan, and then you become this kind of fan. You may have had this job, and then you had that job. At one point, you served in this capacity in the church, and later on, you served in a different capacity in the church. Neither of them are are less faithful or more faithful. They're just different. Those are things that are important to our identity, but they'll, they'll change. Our friends, our friend groups, you know, like I hung out with one group of people in high school and a different group of people in college and a different group of people at my previous church and another group of people at this church. Those things are good and valuable and beautiful. It's not a sin issue. It's just a change, right? They're they're important to who I am. They influence who I am. But they are ultimate to who I am. And and I need to recognize that that those are things that are going to change. They don't go before my my wife. They don't go before my kids. They're, They're surface level, right? And then there are those things in our lives that will change. Think about your seasons of life. I think that's a good way to think about it. You know, right now... I am a preteen dad, and I'm a dad of a toddler, okay, at the same time. Y- y'all pray for me, right? I got, I got no school, elementary school, middle school, right? That's not going to last very long. Already, we, we figured it out. We have about eight years left where all three of our kids are in the house. It's not going to be long. I'm going to be the parent of a teenager. That's going to be a wild season I'm looking forward to. But that's going to change. And then we're going to become empty nesters, right? And, and that freaks us out a lot. But that season doesn't last long, and then we move into a different, we're constantly changing. These are things that are not, might change. These things will change in our lives, our, our experiences. And if we fill them too heavily, they will crush us. You see, brothers and sisters, what matters is that you keep the right materials in the right order, the right layers in the right order. If you put your job down here as a foundational part of who you are and you lose that job, it's going to unravel you as a person. If you put that job down here on the family level, it's going to disrupt your children's identity and who they understand themselves to be. If you put your children down here as the foundational level, it's going to place a, 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 an importance and a value on them that they can't handle. And then, then your well-being as a person is going to be as flighty and as erratic as your children are. And by the way, that's really flighty and really erratic. 
No, brothers and sisters, what we must understand is that our lives, our identities, who we are has been arranged and assigned by God in a very particular way that our lives might be rock solid, anchored to him, that we can flourish even in the midst of a feudal world, even in the midst of a world that seems to be coming apart at the seams. And so this morning I ask you, how is your house built? How is your house built? Is your house built from warped lumber? This morning, do you need to come down to the altar and rip out some of the warped lumber from your life? Do you need to go and lay down some of these understandings of who you are, offer them to God, and let them be crucified on the cross of Jesus? Is your life out of order? Do you have layers? It's not a sin issue, or it's not a, it's not a, you know, a moral issue. It's a disordered issue. So that your foundation, what should be foundation is an afterthought and what ought to be an afterthought is foundational. This morning, would you come and would you you offer those things to the Lord that, that he would reconstruct your house from the ground up so that you can be healthy and flourish as a family, as a child of God. This morning, this morning, allow the new identity that Christ has secured for you to paint a vision for who you are and what your life can be. Let's pray to the Lord together now. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.